Amen. So today we're going to go to the book of Matthew. Do you have your Bibles today? Anybody got a Bible? You got a Bible? Got your Bible? Amen. Here or, or here, even one place or the other, you should have a, a Bible. I, I know we put them on, we put the, the scriptures up on the screen, which is good. And uh, I thank God for that technology. But man, you know, you just need to be able to see it in your own in your own Bible and market or whatever the case, all right? But I want you to follow along with us as we read. These are familiar, very familiar verses of Scripture today. Um, but as I said, we're going to begin um, this morning talking about the promise. And for the next couple of Sundays, the next three Sundays, we'll be talking about that, the Lord willing. And... Uh, so we want to begin that today. We want to begin to focus on the reason for the season. Because Christmas, of course, is always so uh, secularized and merchandised. And, you know, we get so caught up. And I, I, don't get me wrong, I love, the, I love the trees and I love the lights and I love the decorations. And I told, told them the other night, I said, if we've got anybody in our church that don't like or believe in Christmas trees, they're going to have a problem around here. But I love all of the, the trees and the lights and the decorations and uh, all of those things uh, that represent, that we, that we use to represent this time of the year. But we don't want to lose sight of what the season is really all about. It's not just a holiday season. I don't like that term, the holiday season or happy holidays. A few years ago, you know, in the, in the past, I mean, it became such a thing to be so politically correct that, it, that people wouldn't say Merry Christmas. It was always, you know, it was happy holidays. And if I'm in a store, and, uh, which I don't do very often, I don't go shopping much anymore, but um, uh, anyway, never did go a whole lot. But <laughs> but if 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 the if the clerk or or whoever's waiting on me says happy holidays, I always come back with it's Merry Christmas. That's what the season is all about. It's about Jesus. It's about the Lord Jesus and what He has done for us. So we want to talk about the promise today in Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter number 1, and I'm going to begin reading with verse number 18. Okay, if you're there, say amen. Matthew 1 and 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel, or an angel of the Lord, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name, everybody say it with me, 
Jesus. Let's do that again. Let's, let's just read that together. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I love that because he didn't say he will save his people in their sins, but thank God he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done, verse 22, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and she called his name Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, thank you today for this wonderful time of year. Thank you today for the opportunity to be in your presence, to be in your house, to worship you, and to celebrate the birth of of the Lord Jesus Christ, the first advent of God becoming flesh. We thank you today for your presence. We ask for your help today. I ask for the anointing of your Spirit to help me to minister your word as you would have me to do so. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Praise God. Amen. I want to talk to you, as I said, on the subject of the promise um, and do a little series on that. So today, I want to talk, we want to focus in on Joseph. There are three main characters that we want to deal with in the next three Sundays, three main characters in the Christmas story that had a great part in bringing God's promise to pass and God's promise into being, and uh, that is Joseph and Mary, and then Jesus, of course, himself being the promise received. So when we, as we begin this message today, as we begin this, uh, this series, I, I guess the question to be asked, first of all, is what is the promise that we're talking about? And uh, we need to know the promise, first of all, because you can't really fully understand the Old Testament and you can't really fully understand the New Testament apart from the promise. And you definitely cannot understand rightfully and truly understand Christmas without understanding and knowing the promise. You can't really even understand your purpose in life and for being here apart from the promise. So when we talk about the promise today, the promise actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Because it was there in that garden, in that garden, in the beginning, when God had created Adam and taken a rib from him and created Eve, his wife, and he placed Adam and Eve in that paradise of God, in that garden there that he had prepared for them. And I tell you what, it was the perfect environment there in the Garden of Eden. It was the perfect place. 
it wasn't, you know, it was the, the, the temperature, I believe, was always right. It was the paradise of God. The temperature was, it was never too hot. It was never too cold. Everything was always just right. Amen. There wasn't any traffic and there wasn't any pollution. And there wasn't any, there weren't, wasn't any taxes. Praise God. There were no property taxes. Adam and Eve didn't have to pay taxes on, 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 on for living there in the garden. Everything was free. Everything was good. There was no income tax. Listen, there was no sickness. There was no sin. And there was no stress. There was no worry. Everything in that environment was absolutely perfect where God placed his, his man and his woman there in that Garden of Eden. There was no hassle whatsoever. And God told them, told Adam and Eve, when he put them there, he said, everything, every tree, and I'm telling you, God had, had placed fruit trees there for them to eat of and uh, everything that they needed was there they didn't have any needs and they didn't want for anything it was completely perfect and God told them he said listen you can have anything in the garden you want you can eat of any tree that you want to eat of except one and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil he said don't eat of that tree he was very specific he said do not eat of that tree for in the day that you eat if you eat of that tree that day you will surely die there will be a death there will be a spiritual death that will bring on a physical death and it would bring a separation from God and a broken fellowship between man and his creator and that's what God told them to do. And they had it made. They had it made. But you know the story that Eve listened one day to the snake and Satan came disguised as that serpent and used that serpent to beguile her, to deceive her, to tempt her, and uh, to eat of that tree. And as Satan came, you know, you, you remember the story he said to Eve. And, of course, Adam, you know, we try to blame all of it on Eve and um, which the fact is that Adam was there with her listening to the entire conversation between her and the serpent so at any time Adam God had already told Adam I give you dominion so you need to subdue the, 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 the earth at any time Adam could have said hey snake you get out of here you leave here now he had the dominion to do that but he didn't do that he stood there and he listened to the conversation between the snake and between his wife and, and uh, that snake, uh, that snake in the grass, Satan began to, to, to lie to them, to lie to Eve. He said, has, has God said that you can't eat of any and every tree that's in the garden? And, 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 and she said, well, you know, God said that we could eat of any tree except this one tree of the night knowledge of good and evil and the Lord said that we couldn't eat of that tree or touch it and I didn't never read anywhere where God 
said anything about not touching it, but she kind of added to the word of God and she said we're not to eat of it and we're not to touch it because in the day that we do, God said that we would surely die. But the serpent lied. The first lie recorded in the Word of God is there in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent told Eve, said, he said, oh, don't pay any attention to what God said. You're not, you won't surely die. Uh, go ahead and eat the fruit. It'll be okay. God really didn't mean what he said. You know that same lie is being propagated and told by the enemy today day to people and, and, and put in people's hearts that it's okay. Just go ahead. God really didn't mean exactly what he said. It's okay to go ahead and, 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 and act in disobedience to God. Satan's still telling that same lie today, isn't he? Amen? And so he told that lie and so Eve yielded and Adam yielded and she took of the, of the tree and she ate of the fruit and she gave to Adam there with her and that act, that, that very act, when they did that, they totally blew it. Adam and Eve totally blew it. They messed up big time, royally and the mess that we're in today. How many is listening to me? The very mess that we're in today in the world today is because of that act that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and fell from God. Amen? They did die that day. They didn't die physically that day, but they did die. They died spiritually because God had said, in the day that you eat of that, the day that you eat of that tree, that you will surely die. Well, they didn't fall over physically dead, but they died spiritually. They, they were separated from God. They took on a different nature that day. Satan and sin, sin the sinful nature became um, a part of their being that day. And Satan became their Lord. And Satan became their master that day when they yielded to him instead of obeying God. It was truly a bad situation. And Satan, I, I, can, I know Satan was overjoyed and he thought that he had messed everything up. He had totally wrecked and ruined the plan of God. He had ruined because of him getting Adam and Eve to yield to him. Satan was rejoicing because he knew he had ruined a perfect world. He had damaged a perfect marriage. He had broken the fellowship that Adam and Eve experienced and enjoyed there with God and he was he was reveling in joy satan was that he had a he had what it looked like that he had won satan had won he had defeated the plan and the purpose of god because it was god's plan for adam and eve to live eternally and to beget sons and daughters and to replenish the earth and for there to be no sin but a paradise on this earth and for them to live forever and ever and ever and for their offspring to live forever and ever and ever in perfect peace and paradise and harmony. And guess what? Satan comes in, throws a monkey wrench in the machinery. But I've got news for you. It wasn't over. Just like Satan thought it was, God's still going to bring paradise to this earth one of these days. And the original plan of God is going to be fulfilled one of these days because God made a promise. Can I get an amen? Oh, hallelujah. Satan would have won. This would have been 
the defeat of God except God made a promise. God's never caught off guard. How many knows that? And the promise is found in Genesis 3 and 15, if you want to put that up. Genesis 3 and 15. Here's the promise that God made. God had come looking for Adam and Eve. He walked with them and he fellowshiped with them every day in the cool of the day. And after they had sinned, they went and covered themselves with fig leaves. They went and hid themselves in the, in, the, uh, in the garden. God comes looking for them, and he finds them. And God is dealing with them about the situation. And he said, and I'll get to that verse here in just a moment, but he said, he said you know, to, uh, to Adam, he said, Who, why are you hiding from me? Well, God knew. And he said, well, I, I, I was afraid because I was naked. He said, well, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? He said, have you eaten of that tree that I told you not to eat of? And, of course, you know what Adam said, typical man. He says, well, is that woman? Is that woman you gave me? Is that wife? You know, is, she's the one that did it. And uh, God looks at Eve, you know, what about that? And said, well, is that snake? That snake, he beguiled me, he deceived me, and I did eat. And so God dealt with Adam and Eve, but then he turns to the snake. He turns to the serpent. He comes to Satan and, and turns to Satan, and he puts a curse upon him that on his belly he'll, he'll crawl. He'll eat the dust of the ground. But then in verse 15, 3 and 15 of Genesis, God makes a promise. And he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Notice that. It's between you, Satan, and the woman and between your seed, Satan's seed, which is the ungodly. And notice this, her seed. Not the man's seed, but her seed, the woman's seed. He, this promised one, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Here's the promise that God gives. As soon as mankind has fallen, God makes a promise that he's going to send a deliverer, that he's going to send a redeemer, that he's made a promise that, that, that he's going to send one that is going to crush, to bruise the head of the serpent, to defeat him and to take his authority away from him. From the moment that God made that promise God had one item from that moment on God had one item on his to-do list and God had one priority and that one priority that God had was to keep that promise to send that one into the world that he had promised to send that one that that he had promised would be the one that would come who would take care of Satan who would take care of sin who would take care of sorrow who would take care of suffering. Praise be unto God. I thank God for the promise today. That is what Christmas is all about, ladies and gentlemen. It's about that promise and God fulfilling that promise and sending the Redeemer, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ to take away the sin of the world, to release us from the prison house of sin and to make us sons and daughters of Almighty God. Can anybody say Amen today. Oh, that is good news today.
So God has that as his priority, to bring that redeemer into the world and to keep that promise. And all through the Old Testament, you read. That's why I said you, you can't really understand the Old Testament unless you know the promise. Because all the types and the shadows of the Old Testament point to the promise. The prophecies of the Old Testament prophets talked about the promise. They're pointing to Jesus. Everything in this Bible, ladies and gentlemen, is about Jesus. From Genesis, right here's the from Genesis 3:15 on, it's all about Jesus. It's all about the promise. It's all about him coming to redeem humanity from the powers of darkness and from sin. And so this is where Joseph and Mary come in. Because in Joseph, we see the promise here. We see in Joseph, we see the promise believed. And we'll talk about that today. But then in Mary, we also then see in her the promise conceived. And in Jesus, we see the promise received. So that's what we're going to deal with, hopefully, the next three Sundays. But today, I want us to look at Joseph. Because Joseph is an interesting character. He's, he's the one that is chosen to actually raise up the Christ child. He's the foster father of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you read the Bible about Joseph, there's really no recorded words of his in the Bible. Uh, in Christmas plays, when you see Christmas plays and they have Joseph and Mary and the wise men and all, you know, Joseph... Usually, he doesn't do anything, really, but stand there with his, uh, with his staff. You know, he just stands there. He doesn't really say much at all or, or, or if anything. But in, in, in spite of all that, even though he doesn't have anything record, any recorded words in the Bible, God is going to use Joseph to be a part of bringing the promise to pass. Because Joseph is called upon here to, do, for, to a great task. And Joseph is going to have to really believe God and trust the promise and stand on the promise and believe the promise and obey God in the midst of a very, very difficult situation in his and Mary's life. Can I get an amen? And so in Joseph, we see something today. We see that Joseph had to trust God's promise in the middle of a, of a time when he was even in doubt. Anybody ever have doubts? Anybody here ever have doubts? I, I don't know that there's anybody that doesn't ever have a doubt. I mean, we battle doubts all the time. That's part of the warfare that we go through. Isn't that right? Is to battle and overcome doubt. But Joseph had to learn here to trust the promise in the middle of doubt because Joseph's life is getting turned upside down. Joseph's life, everything is, is God's just coming in and Joseph's plans are getting all messed up. It's said in verse 18 and 19 of Matthew 1, it said that the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and that betrothal was just an engagement. They're not really, they're not actually married in the Jewish culture. There, was, there were steps to the marriage. They didn't just run off and get married. There was, uh, there was a, you know, there was a pledge to one another. There was a, a betrothal or an engagement that led up to the wedding. And so this is talking about the, 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 the engagement and Mary was 
betrothed to Joseph. And it says that before they came together, notice that, before they came together as husband and wife, before they were actually married, before they had any sexual relations, she was found, Mary was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. As I said, Joseph and Mary are engaged. They had not come together yet as husband and wife. They had not had any sexual relations. It said that, they, that before they came together that Mary was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Mary had been visited by an angel. Luke talks about that. The angel Gabriel and the angel Gabriel said that she would, would have a child. She would become pregnant. That the son that she would give birth to would be the son of God. And Mary said, how can this be? Lord, how can this be? Seeing I do not know a man. I've never known a man. And the angel said to Mary, said the Holy Ghost will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. And that which you conceive in your womb will be the son of God and will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph's got a problem here on his hands because who's going to believe this story when he finds out? Here's the problem Joseph has on his hands. He's engaged to this teenage girl. They've been pledged together since they were little children. He is betrothed to her. She's a teenage girl. He's engaged to her, and now he finds out that she is pregnant and the child is not his. That would be a problem, would it not? What is he supposed to do about this? I mean, Mary tells him the story. Well, Joseph, I wasn't unfaithful to you. Here's what happened. An angel came and told me these things. The angel Gabriel and the, the child that I have, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I'm still a virgin. And can you imagine, Joseph? Oh, come on, Mary. Huh? What would be in your what would be in your response to a story like that? Come on, amen. I mean, he, here's where in the midst of doubt, Joseph has to get a hold of the promise, and he has to believe the promise. Are you with me? Now, Joseph had three options. I mean, what is he supposed to do? He's got three options. I mean, he could uh, expose her and, and bring her before the council and say that she had, had uh, committed adultery. And uh, according to the law, she then could be stoned to death and put to death for committing adultery. Or Joseph could announce her unfaithfulness and make her a public disgrace. He could just announce it before all, saying, I have no, no part in this. She's... She's disgraced me and make her a public disgrace. Or the third option that he had is the one that he chose. He could, just, he could just put her away secretly. He could break the engagement. He could just go his way and just tell Mary, you know, I'm not going to say anything about it, but we'll just, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking off this relationship and this engagement because I don't believe your story. It just is too far-fetched. Joseph is filled with doubt. He does not know what to do. Can you imagine his situation, what he would be thinking, the thoughts that would be going through his mind? He doesn't know what to do, and, and he doubts Mary. He doubts the relationship. He's probably having some doubts about God and himself, so he decides to put her away secretly to break the engagement. But before he makes his final decision, before he locks his 
it in. Amen. Before he says, this is what I'm going to do. There's something that he did first that you and I should always do when we face a situation when we don't know what to do. And how many's ever faced that? Situation you don't understand, you don't know what to do. The, the Bible says that the first thing that Joseph did was that he took his problem before the Lord, before he made this decision, when he was in doubt, when he didn't understand, he went to the Lord and he thought and pondered about this and thought it through and prayed it through. And the Bible says in verse number 20 of Matthew 18, of Matthew 1, verse 20, it says, but while Joseph thought about these things, while he was pondering these things, while he was, I believe, thinking about and praying about these things, the Bible says that in that situation that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream hallelujah and said Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take Mary your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins God is 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 giving him again the promise that he made in Genesis Genesis 3.15 and saying believe her story. This is the fulfillment of the promise. Joseph I'm going to use you in a way to help bring my promise to pass. And I'm telling you what I believe that when the Lord appeared to him and let him know that the story Mary was telling was true and reaffirmed that to him Joseph was his doubts began to go away. His doubts began to clear up. He had prayed the thing through. He had got an answer from God. Let me tell you something church when you're doubting situations in your life if you'll think it through and you'll pray it through and you'll get a hold of God, God will always give you an answer to bring you through and banish those doubts from your mind. God is keeping his promise. He said, she will bring forth a son and you'll call his name Jesus and he'll save his people from their sins. God's keeping his promise because verse 22 says, so all this was done. Why was all this done? What was taking place? All this was done that it might be what? Fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord. Hallelujah. God is making good on his promise. He's fulfilling his promise. So Joseph has got a decision to make. He can trust God's promise or not. He can trust the Lord and believe the promise. Or he can say, well, I don't know if I want anything to do with this or not. Because it's not going to be. Listen. Okay, he's, he's heard from an angel. He's got the answer. God has said this is happening it's by the Holy Spirit and it's going to fulfill, it's, it's, it's happening to fulfill what the Lord has promised. But it's still not going to be an easy road for Mary and for Joseph. They're going to have to, Joseph and Mary both are going to have to endure some, some, some stink eye from people. Some bad gossip from people. People are going to look down upon them. There's going to be some dirty criticism 
of the people. There's going to be some giggling and gossiping and finger pointing and rumors that'll go every, that'll that'll surface and that'll go around. And there were some rumors that came up. There was rumors that said that Mary had been unfaithful to Joseph. There was rumors that said that that she had had an affair with someone else. There was rumors that said that uh, Mary was actually raped by a Roman soldier and that she was pregnant through rape. And uh, if that would have been in this culture today, uh, probably Jesus would have been aborted. But there was going to be a rough road ahead. The rumors were going to be everywhere. The Bible says... Verse 24 and 25 of Matthew 1, that Joseph, then Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I like that. And he took to him his wife and did not know her. Notice that. Still no sexual relations. She's still a virgin. Did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph took Mary as his wife. He kept her a virgin until Jesus was born because he trusted God's promise in the middle of doubt. See, or you may be in a situation today, and I think we've all been there in those circumstances and situations when we're doubting whether or not we can make it. We're doubting if you can, if you can make it through whatever you might be facing, if you can see it through, doubting if you can survive. But here's a lesson that we can learn from Joseph, and this is the thing that you must know, and this is the main point that you need to get today, and that is for every problem there is a provision. Every situation that you face in life God has an answer for that problem amen no matter how bad it might seem so it might seem to be you have got to trust the promise and continue to believe the promise and begin and continue to stand upon the promise of God because for every problem listen to me saints as a child of God as a believer it doesn't matter what you may be facing God has made provision through his son the Lord Jesus Christ for every problem that you face so if you're in the middle of doubt today what are you supposed to do believe the promise of God today trust in the promise of God can I get an amen so he's trusting in the middle of doubt but then there's something else that happens we won't, you, you all know the story, so we won't take time to go into it all. You know, the wise men come. They're led by the star to Bethlehem. And, and they come to Jerusalem, and they ask, Where is he that is born? Where is he to, that, that's born the king of the Jews? And, and Herod gets his interest, his curiosity piqued. And he says, I don't know. So he calls, the, he calls the religious leaders together, and they search the Scriptures. And there it is in the book of Micah that the Redeemer, the promised one, would be born. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So they tell Herod in Bethlehem, the wise men go. And Herod says, after you've worshipped him, come back and let me know where he's at because I want to go and worship him too. Oh, yeah, right. Amen. And so the wise men go and they offer their gifts to Jesus of gold and frankincense and myrrh and they worship the Christ child. And then they 
also. If you'll notice Matthew 1, and these verses are, uh, uh, you know, and, and Luke chapter 2, there's a lot of dreaming going on. God's dealing with people in dreams, and he gives a dream to these wise men, to the magi, tells them, don't go back to Herod, depart another way. And when Herod finds out that he's been tricked by these wise men, he becomes very angry, and so he sets out a plot, a plan to have, and gives out a decree that all the babies, all the children from two years old and under in Bethlehem and all that surrounding area in Galilee are to be, are to be killed or to be put to death. And so that is what is taking place. But God makes a, a promise now and calls upon Joseph to believe him again because he's got to trust God now, Joseph does, in the time of danger, in the middle of danger. And in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, we see there that the angel of the Lord comes again and appears to Joseph in a dream. And he says, Joseph, I need you to arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word again for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. I mean, he knows God's always way ahead of the devil. Somebody said he's a step ahead. God's way ahead of the devil. He knows what the devil's plotting and planning before he ever brings it to pass. And if you'll just learn how to believe God and trust God and trust the promise of God, God will always bring you through dangerous, difficult situations in your life. How many know that? today. Amen? Praise God. And so he tells Joseph, get the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, go there and stay there until the death of Herod. Notice that he says in verse 14, verse 15 of chapter 2 of Matthew, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I've called my son. So now Joseph is being instructed to do something else, to take Mary and Jesus into Egypt to find a place of safety. He says, flee to Egypt. That word flee is a word that means to run away, escape, to avoid danger. The angel literally said to Joseph, Joseph, get up, go now, go quickly, don't look back, don't stop until you're in Egypt because they, that Herod's going to seek the young child's life. Go to Egypt and stay there until I give you word to come back. You know, it seems to me like, and I don't know if anybody else's mind works like mine, but uh, God help you if it does. But... <laughs> Amen. But it seems to me, it's always seemed to me when I would read this part of the story, of the Christmas story, that God is doing things the hard way. You know, why doesn't God just do something different? Why don't he just, boom, just do a miracle? I mean, he knew that Herod was going to kill the babies. Why allow this to happen? And I've often wondered why that the angel of the Lord, that angel that was more powerful than Herod and more powerful than all of the armies of Herod, why that mighty angel? I mean, we read about the angel in the, in the, in the Old Testament. We read about the angel. One angel in one night killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night to deliver Israel from the hand of the Assyrians. And I've often thought, well, God, why didn't you just kill Herod? 
Why didn't you just why didn't you just kill him? I mean, couldn't God have done that? That he could have sent an angel to kill kill Herod and the problem would have been solved. It would have been over. I mean, God could have supernaturally protected uh, his son there in Bethlehem. But instead, God sends Joseph and Mary and Jesus on about a 200-mile journey through some rough terrain, through some rough country to Egypt to hide there. God seems to be doing things the hard way. Come on, somebody. But instead of God just protecting them by by supernatural means or performing a miracle, God does something different. God protects them by very a very ordinary, unmiraculous method by having them to run away and flee to Egypt. Do you know God doesn't always, we're always wanting God to just do a miracle to get us out of some situation that we're in. God just performed a miracle. But you know what? Sometimes God's way of leading us and doing things is not the way we think God ought to do it. I don't know, maybe Joseph said, well, Lord, why don't you just do something about Herod? And God, but God's direction is, you take Mary and the baby and you go into the land of Egypt. Can I tell you something this morning, saints, that God's way is not always the softest way. It's not always the easiest way. God's way, and I know this goes against the grain, and I know that this goes against a lot of the teaching that we, we you know, that is in the church world today, but God's way is not always the most pleasant way. Can I get an amen? God's way, that there, there's some rough roads along the way as in living for the Lord Jesus Christ, in serving the Lord. His way is not always a bed of roses, but I can't and tell you one thing for sure today church that God's way is always the surest way and God's way is always the blessed way and God's way is always the way of protection and blessing in our life if we'll just learn how to listen to him if we'll learn how to believe the promise if we'll learn how to stand if we'll learn how to trust in the Lord he will bring us through those rough places and God will work his will in our lives. Can I get an amen? Woo, hallelujah. God's will. Has anybody ever, ever found this out? You've been living for the Lord any, any amount of time at all? That God's will at times leads us in situations we don't understand? Y'all really seem excited today. I've been down some paths and through some things that I didn't understand, but here's the thing, that inside the will of God, you are always under the protection of God. Huh? What if, what if Joseph would have said, I ain't going to no Egypt. I'm going to confess a miracle. I'm going to believe God to kill Herod. I'm just going to believe God. He's going to protect us right here in Bethlehem. I ain't going to Egypt. Well, I don't know what would happen for sure. But I can tell you one thing. He would not have been 
under the protective hand of God. God's telling him, you go to Egypt and I'll protect you there. We got to learn not to argue with the plan of God and the will of God and the ways of God in our life. He may lead us, folks, in ways that we can't figure out. He may lead us in ways that we don't understand. But I'm going to tell you something. I want to stay in the center of his perfect will for my life because the will of God is the safest place that you can be today is to be in the will of God and I'd rather be traveling a long hard road and know that I'm in the will of God and that I've got his hand on me and that he's protected me and taken care of me amen than to be out of the will of God we want to stay in the center of his will can I get an amen why did God do it that way? Why did God send him to Egypt, Joseph to Egypt? I believe that the reason that he sent him there is that, and it's given in the 15th verse of Matthew 2, that it might be, here's that word again, that it might be fulfilled, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, out of Egypt I called my son. Once again, we see that God is keeping his promise. Once again, we learn that, that, that fact about God. And I know we say that, we say that we believe that, but listen, again we see that for every problem there is a provision and God is keeping his promise. And the promise was that his son would be called out of Egypt. I preached on that last year, Christmas in Egypt, amen. But God would call his son out of Egypt. How could he call him out of Egypt unless he first gets him in Egypt? God is working to fulfill the promise that he made back in Genesis 3 and 15. The promise is going to be fulfilled and you've got to trust the promise today. God provided a way for Joseph and Mary and Jesus, a way out of Israel. and God provided a way and a place for them to stay in Egypt. And he provided for their needs while they were there. So it doesn't matter how bleak your situation may look. Maybe it's a problem with, with your employment or with a job or a problem in your home or in your marriage. Maybe you're facing a problem with your health and your finances. I'm going to tell you something. The road may not always be easy, but if you are surrendered to God's will for your life, there's the key. If you're in obedience to Him and you're surrendered to His will, listen, you can trust God's promise, provision, providence, and protection in your life. Even in the most dangerous of times, even in the perilous times in which we live today, if you will believe the promise and believe and know that God has a plan for your life to be fulfilled, hallelujah, if you believe that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord, He will bring you through and fulfill the promise in your life. Hallelujah. Last of all, Joseph had to trust God's promise in the midst of difficulty. Matthew 2.19, I won't take time to read it. But when Herod was dead, the Bible said that the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph again there in Egypt, said for him to take the child and mother, go back to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child are dead. So Moses, or Moses, Joseph, 
he'll rise and he takes Jesus and his mother. They come to the land of Israel. But notice what it says, verse 22 of Matthew 2. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Notice this, and being warned of God, warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Here it is again, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Herod's dead. Joseph gets directions from God. It's time for him and his family to come home. And it would seem natural. Here we go again. It would seem natural that they come back to where? Where'd they leave from? Chicago? New Orleans? Wake up. Where'd they leave from? Bethlehem, wasn't it? And it would just seem normal. It would just seem natural for them to come back to Bethlehem. To where he's born, we'll just go back to Bethlehem. But instead, God supernaturally again warns Joseph, don't go to Bethlehem, go to Nazareth. Nazareth? Nazareth? Why would, why would we go to Nazareth? See, here's the thing that's strange about this, because Nazareth was a nothing city. I mean, Nazareth was, a, was, was inhabited. It was a city that was inhabited largely by people who were known for their crude and uncouth and violent ways. It was just, Nazareth was a, was a little hick town, a little podunk town. The people in Nazareth, Nazareth did not have a good reputation. Are you listening to me? And here is where God is sending Joseph and Mary and the promise to Nazareth. I mean, this, the term Nazarene, the term Nazarene had been long used as a, as a term of condescension. People, it wasn't a compliment. Let me tell you, when, when, when it said, he shall be called a Nazarene, it wasn't giving Jesus a compliment. Are you with me? I know there's a denomination today called Nazarene. Well, we're not condescending on anybody, but that was not. Jesus was called a Nazarene, but it wasn't a compliment. I mean, Nathaniel even asked the question, remember? Nathaniel in John chapter 1, he said, when they said Jesus of Nazareth, he said, of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Ain't nothing good coming out of Nazareth. So what in the world is God doing? I mean, instead of Jesus being called Jesus of Jerusalem or Jesus of Bethlehem, he would be known as Jesus of Nazareth. He would be known as the Nazarene. And in that culture, that was the same as saying he was a redneck from a hick town. Huh? Amen. A deplorable. Exactly. I mean, Jesus had already gone through enough indignity. He was born in a stable around a bunch of stinking, smelly animals. He was laying in a... When he was born, he was wrapped up in just some, some swaddling clothes, some cloth, and laying in a... His bed was a, was a, a trough, a feeding trough for the animals... 
I mean, he's already been through that. He's, he's had to flee to Egypt. He's had to leave, live in seclusion from the wicked king that God could have easily taken care of. And now he's going to have to live in this city of Nazareth. He's going to have to be called a Nazarene. Are you kidding me? Why is that? And the reason for that is, is once again, is the promise. God is fulfilling the promise because in, tw- in 2 and 23 of Matthew, it says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken. There it is again, might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be what? Called a Nazarene. It was a fulfillment of the promise. It was a fulfillment of the prophecy. So we learn from Joseph that even in the smallest promises of God, even those minute, small promises that we overlook sometimes, those small promises are so important to God. And the promises of God, the promise of God and the fulfillment of the promise of God is so important that God will move heaven and earth and kings like pieces on a chess set to make sure that his promise is fulfilled and that he keeps his promise for every problem ladies and gentlemen for for every problem there is a provision there is a promise in the middle of doubt in the middle of danger in the middle of difficulty God will make good on his promise to you and there will be a provision if you learn how to trust and believe the promise that God has made everything will work out according to your good in his plan Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Worship team, come on back. Listen. When Jesus was born that first Christmas, nobody expected it. His birth messed up a lot of plans. And I'm going to tell you what. His first coming was unexpected. His second coming is going to be unexpected as well. His first coming messed up a lot of people's plans. His second coming is going to mess up a lot of people's plans. I'm going to be ready for that one too. Amen? It messed up Herod's plans. The birth of Jesus messed up the innkeeper's plans. The birth of Jesus most of all messed up Joseph and Mary's plans. They had planned on getting married. They had planned on a lot of things. God said, I'm going to change your plans for my plans. And God said, Mary, you're going to get pregnant before your wedding. Joseph, you're not going to be the natural father. It's going to be a virgin birth, and the baby's going to be God himself. That's a pretty hard thing to swallow, but they had to trust the Lord. You know what? God has a way sometimes of messing up our plans. Can I get an amen? But we got to be like Joseph and learn that God's plan is a lot bigger than our plan. And that's what Joseph learned, that God's plan for him was a lot bigger than the plans he had for him. And he had to believe the promise of God. And folks, there'll be times in your life that God's will will not be the most convenient thing. And God's will will not be the easiest thing to do. But if you will learn to trust the promise, you will see that God's will is always the right thing to do and the best thing to do. And He will bring His promise to pass 
in your life. Would you stand with me today? Hallelujah. Oh.